This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. What's up, everybody? Hello and welcome to the first ever episode 56 of the Best Seats Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented people in and around the hospitality industry from right here in Orange County, where the show is recorded, to the rest of Southern California and beyond each and every episode. I'm your host, Crawford McCarthy, founder of The Best Seats. You can check out more content like this at thebestseats.com. Thank you, as always, to my friend Allie Coyle, who provides music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieCoyleMusic.com. Be sure to check out her latest, uh, sorry, her first EP, actually, Songs from My Therapist. It just launched over on Spotify, uh, over at her website. It's getting rave reviews. I can't stop listening to it. Shameless plug. Even though she records, or I'm sorry, gives the music for the show, it's a really, really awesome track. If you live in the Orange County area and you're listening to this podcast, go check out her family's restaurants, uh, Fable and Spirit over in Newport Beach, Dublin 4, and wine works for everyone, and she should be a guest on an upcoming episode. Uh, episode. So depending on when you are listening to this one, it may already have come out. I don't know yet. I don't know when you're listening to it. But depending on when you are listening to this episode, don't forget that you can get early ad-free access by going to patreon.com slash the best seats and signing up at a monthly amount that makes the most sense to you. And as a reminder, if you enjoy the show, please be sure to leave a rating and or a review wherever you are listening to it. It helps other folks discover it, lets me know what I'm doing wrong, what I can fix, etc. Episode 56 um, is a really fun one. We are going back to a restaurant that I had interviewed a chef at previously, a chef that was just uh, on a recent episode, Chef Amy Lebrun, except she is obviously, if you heard that episode, no longer at Lido Bottle Works over in Newport Beach. It is Chef Joel Gutierrez who has taken over. He is doing some really, really awesome stuff, keeping the legacy of Little Bottle Works alive. I think, I don't think I'm wrong on this, consistently one of the most underrated restaurants in Orange County. Delicious food, really, really good flavors. You know, the only gripe a lot of people have with it is that it's not a full liquor bar, but I got to be honest, as soon as you dig into the food menu, you're going to forget about the drinks entirely. It's a hyper-seasonal restaurant. What Chef Joel is doing there is nothing short of awesome. In a tiny kitchen, maybe three people working it total. They're crushing service each and every night. If you haven't been and you're listening to this and you live in Orange County, please go. If you're in L.A. or San Diego County, please drive up. Stay at Newport for the night. You're not going to have a bad time. But definitely, definitely, definitely Little Bottle Works is where you want to eat. There's a lot of great restaurants in the area, but what they're doing on the back bay, sitting on the water in this small little space is... It, nothing short of heroic. I mean, he's cranking out these kick-ass dishes, hyper-seasonal menu, unapologetic flavors, and he's just doing it with a smile on his face, cranking the team each and every day. Again, it's not easy to take over when another chef leaves. There's kind of a void, a vacuum that all of a sudden comes. It's you know like when an NFL team changes quarterbacks or a head coach or something like that. I think I even make that metaphor in this episode. But it's good. You're going to have a fun time. I don't want to take up any more of your time. This is a really fun interview. We recorded this uh, middle of service back in, I want to say like middle or end of June. 
So again, take it with a grain of salt as far as some of the seasonality of some of the dishes, if we touch on that. Um, ignore some of the background noise. Again, they're hustling and bustling. We were sitting right near the pass and kind of food was running. They were hopping. Obviously, it's a busy place. Why? Because it's really good. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode with the new chef, Hellman Lido Bottle Works, Chef Joel Gutierrez. Enjoy. Chef Joel, thank you so much for sitting down. I'm so happy to actually be recording at Lido Bottle Works. I've recorded previously with friend of the show, former chef here, Amy LeBron, but I am extremely excited to sit down today and record with you and see what you're doing and get a little bit of your history and basically kind of spread the good word of what you're doing here and it's very good things. But before we dive into any other part of the show, would you mind introducing yourself to the people and giving a little bit of your background? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I am Joel Gutierrez, uh, the new chef here at Lido Bottle Works. Uh, I've been working in the industry and in Orange County for about 10 to 12 years. I uh, kind of got my first start at uh, Crowbar about 10 years ago, and I just worked my way up there. That's where I fell in love with food. Uh, I got to work with really, really great chefs there. Uh, Chef Johnny Shaw, he put me under his wing, and he kind of taught me everything that I know. Uh, and from there, I've worked at Philomena's, uh, worked at Sea Legs and Sea Salt when they opened, uh, and then kind of found myself here. So I should mention that, obviously, if anybody cannot tell so far, we are recording this, uh, depending on when you're hearing this, Wednesday in the middle of June, we are here at Little Bottle Works in the middle of service. So if there's background noise, obviously, everybody kind of knows the deal. You've heard shows like this before. I, I'm extremely excited to hear your position because, again, I've interviewed, I interviewed Chef Amy LeBron when she was here at Little Bottle Works, interviewed her since now that she's moved on. I've had people, I've had chefs on the show before that have now taken over other restaurants, but I've never interviewed from my perspective, somebody who's taken kind of the same restaurant. It, it reminds me of kind of like when an NFL team gets a new head coach, all of a sudden you have a successful program, you have something <laughs> that's been doing well. What is it like to kind of take over that role and not just take it over, but take it over while we were still kind of in the throes of all the 2020 threw at us? Oh yeah, it was challenging. Um, yeah, 2020 threw a lot at us, uh, but it was a great experience and we kind of got to come closer as a kitchen as a whole uh, and as a restaurant as a whole. Uh, we kind of, you know, helped each other out wherever we could. Uh, and it was great to be able to keep our staff on uh, during that as well. But it was definitely a challenge. Um, we kind of had to flip our entire kind of concept uh, to do a to-go menu at certain points and then at other points to do a half and half concept as well. Um, and then where we are now to where we're fully back open, but we're still being able to have the outside seats as well, which is fantastic for us, but definitely a challenging time. And um, yeah, it was great. We are recording this episode literally the day after California has quote unquote reopened. Mm -hmm. The masks are off, you know, all the restrictions have kind of lifted. From your perspective, the hospitality got its ass kicked in 2020. There's no getting around that oh, fact. No, no, no. What does it feel like to be here now? to be in the kitchen, to be plating food while everything has, you know, for lack of a better term, reopened. Uh, it's great to be back and fully opened. Um, it's, it's definitely kind of taken, you know, like a kick in, kick in the face over the last couple of years. Uh, and you, we can all kind of feel it, even trying to get people, um, you know, to come back to work or to get new people hired. It's definitely been more of a challenge than it ever has um, that I've seen. So it's, we're, we're not only competing with other restaurants now that are also trying to get staffed all at the same time but we're, cre we're competing with other companies, you know, like larger companies that are kind of taking 
away from the industry as well. Anybody who knows this restaurant, and if you don't know it, get out here because you're missing out on something great. It's not a big place. You seat, how many do you seat on a full Saturday service? About how many covers? Uh, we're about up to like 90 seats now. But yeah, yeah definitely small space. Uh, kind of pre-COVID, we're about 76. Uh, so we've kind of been able to grow a little bit, which is always nice. I mean, first and foremost, so many people because of outside seating added seats mm -hmm. during the pandemic. And I know that's been hugely beneficial. Every single dollar counts in an industry that you're already working on razor thin, razor thin margins. Absolutely. Are you going to be able to keep those outside seats? Has there been any communication with the city now that things have kind of opened? Yeah, so there's been a little bit of communication. Um, so we're working closely uh, with the city to try and come to some kind of middle ground to where we can keep uh, some of the seats, but not all of them. Um, so it's going to be a little difficult for us here just on the boardwalk. Um, obviously, due to fire code, you're going to have to get rid of some of those boardwalk uh, tables. But, you know, around the corner from us, uh, like right next to our garden, we're trying to keep those tables uh, to try and, you know, be able to seat as many people as we can and, you know, serve them food as well. I, I, I want to say this as nicely as I can. You're an extremely talented chef. Mm -hmm. Chef Amy LeBron is an extremely talented chef. Absolutely. When a new chef takes over, what is that process like for you to step out of her name? Because she's somebody that I think is a force. I respect her cooking. Again, friend of the show, interviewed her twice at this point. What does it take for a chef when you get promoted and you rise up and you earn that spot to move out from her shadow? Because again, a lot of the menu items, you guys change, you're hyper seasonal, oh, yeah. things like that. But how do you forge your own path? Hmm. So I've seen this at a couple of restaurants that I've worked at too. Um, so this is, it's nothing really new to me, um, but it's, it's definitely kind of, um, you're trying to ride like kind of a fine line, you know, you don't want to lose the identity of the restaurant that you've been at for so long. You still want to take that concept and build upon it. And I, I think it's always nice to kind of have, you know, certain items on the menu that have been there from the beginning, you know, and you almost get like the history of the restaurant in that menu as well. So I think just trying to blend, you know, the styles of the chefs that have been here before and trying to, you know, respect what they did and what they've built upon and take that concept and kind of put my own twist on it and my own voice into that food um, for the menu. Yeah. It's a kitchen you're very familiar with. How many years have you been here? At, at this point, you've been here how many years? Uh, about four years now. And I should say, for people that don't know it, and obviously most people don't see the kitchen when they come to eat, you guys are not working with a big space. I mean, you're running uh -huh. a team of three. It's a small space. It's pretty intimate. You guys crank out some insanely, insanely talented food. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be able to take the helm and to be running it now that things have opened up, what does that feel like now that things are kind of, again, like we said before, kind of quote unquote back? Uh, it's been great. Um, we've been busier than ever. So just trying to come up with new ways that we can, you know, keep up with the demand um, that everyone is giving us right now and trying to put out that same, you know, level of food that we've always put out um, just on a higher scale now. Um, so we've renovated a little bit of the kitchen to kind of, you know, help with the flow of things. Uh, and then, you know, just trying to keep, come up with, you know, new different uh, cooking techniques as well. Uh, obviously, Little Bottle Works has a reputation it, it people know what it's known for i would say probably the common diner doesn't really pay attention to free agency mm -hmm. they're not maybe following when a chef leaves when a chef gets promoted you know new bartender comes on things like that mm -hmm. i love keeping up with the free agency it's half the reason i do this oh yeah absolutely <laughs> but i don't think a lot of people do is there any notion of when those new dishes come on what makes it yours versus what it used to be what kind of spin are you adding to the food uh so i'm trying to really you know, take this concept of 100% utilization. So whether it's going to be a whole fish that we're getting in and we're going to break it all down and we're going to be using the bones and the collar 
and the head for stock and we're using the actual you know fillets for portions um i think that's really important to me and then as far as you know produce as well you know you have that same concept you're trying to we're trying to take the the waste out of the the process here so we're trying to use 100 percent of everything and find new ways to use them and i think that's a big part of like our creative process here is it'll push us to use those same ingredients that you're always used to but in a new and exciting way your style of food definitely speaks through you were gracious enough to serve up a couple of dishes before we recorded today um you guys bring the flavor man you bring some serious serious flavor and the zero waste part comes through Mm. how important do you think zero waste is going to be as we move forward the number one thing that i've heard from restaurants and basically all industries the past couple weeks is supply Mm. and everybody's having a hard time getting their hands on anything because everything just reopened it's just impossible because again that chain has been disrupted for the past year and a half what's it been like for you guys to get product produce things like that and then does that continue to fuel that kind of zero waste mentality uh, yeah, I think absolutely. Um, we've definitely had, you know, like our ups and downs with trying to get uh, certain products in and uh, other companies kind of having that same uh, struggle that we've had, you know, they're, they're short staffed just like we have been at certain points and uh, they're just trying to source what they can. And it's, it's, it's going to be, it's going to play a large part in what we do here. You know, like if, if we can only get so much product uh, per week or certain items, I think trying to use as much as we can out of that item to get as much as we can is going to be hugely beneficial. You mentioned that you were short-staffed at certain times, as everybody else is. Again, like I said earlier, the day we're recording this, the day after California has opened, I've seen multiple memes and jokes and whatever you want to call it saying, hey, (laughs) we're 100% open, but it doesn't mean people are 100% staffed. Please be nice. Mm -hmm. What's a clientele been like from your perspective? Obviously, you're not front of house. You're back of house. You're handling the kitchen. You're handling your food. But Mm -hmm. what have you seen from diners over the past, not just the past year, because you probably didn't see them that much during Mm -hmm. the shutdown, but now that things are kind of reopening? Uh, Yeah, we've had a great, like a great base of customers here. And I haven't really seen anything that, you know, they've all been really appreciative that we've been open through this entire process. Um, And they're just happy to be back and, you know, be sitting down in a restaurant, you know, finally again. So we've had a great warm reception um, from everyone. And I think just our local base of customers has been fantastic to us. You guys, for people that have been here, this is in kind of Lido Village, which is right on Babel Peninsula. We're in the heart of Newport Beach. I mean, there's a massive, massive tourism aspect Mm -hmm. to this where you get a lot of foot traffic, maybe one-time diners that are coming and going from different cities. Is there any expectation to kind of how do you balance presenting for locals versus presenting for tourists? Because a lot of places kind of have those set menu items, right? That mm-hmm. grilled chicken Caesar, you got to have the burger, like those kind of things that you know we're going to sell because people don't really know what they like to order half the time. Mm-hmm. You guys have a very eclectic menu. When you're putting on new dishes, what's your mentality that goes into it? How do you build out a new dish aside from the seasonality and the desire to kind of go that zero, zero waste? Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of just kind of think about the ingredients and kind of what I would like to eat as well. Um, what flavors are going to go with each other? Um, what flavors is going to contrast with each other too? Um, you know, like when I was going to school, uh, I did a little bit of art classes and everything as well. And I kind of think of it as the same kind of concept, you know, you're looking at things that are going to contrast each other, but also complement each other at the same time. Well, it's time for a little commercial. Yeah. 
The last year provided so many challenges for restaurant owners. Now that they're finally getting a chance to open their doors again to the public, it can only be an exciting thing. However, some of those challenges still remain, like hiring new staff after having to let go of them for almost an entire year. That's where Hire Lilo comes in. Custom built from the ground up by hospitality professionals, Hire Lilo is your destination for restaurant hiring. Applicants can create resumes on the site, set up meetings, use the virtual messaging system to communicate with potential hirees, and more. Restaurants also have a multitude of options to choose from, including selecting mandatory shifts for specific positions, and more. The website is easy to use and is a perfect build-out for the hospitality industry. None of the other fancy stuff are trying to compete with every other industry on the planet for new hires. As I said, it is hospitality-specific, making it your destination for hiring Using the promo code STAY STRONG, all one word, you can create a free job posting today and start to fill those hiring voids. Hire Lilo provides on site help. They'll sit down and make sure that your restaurant is set up and properly ready to go and that you can utilize all the features Hire Lilo offers. To learn more or to create an account and get job posting now, go to hirelilo.com. That's H I R E L I L O.com. Once again, that's hirelilo.com. If you listen to the best seats at all, or read the content, then you know the motto, live well and often. But what does it mean? In layman's terms, it's trying to give you the best products, places, experiences, and more, so you can put a big smile on your face every single day. Amass Botanics is what I use on my back bar constantly if I need a cocktail or a quick pick-me-up. Any of their other botanical products, like candles, hand sanitizer, and more, also helps to set the mood. Now, I'm a big fan of everything that Amass does. I have been since day one when they launched their trademark gin, and everything they've done since then has been nothing short of excellent. Now you can get your hands on their products at a discounted rate by going to amass.com and using the discount code THEBESTSEATS15, that's C-E-A-T-S, at checkout. Now it's limited one per customer, so make sure you load up, but trust me, you can't go wrong with anything they're doing. I stand by Amass 100%. They're one of my go-to brands for spirits needs or anything around the house. So again, go to amass.com, that's A-M-A-S-S, and use the code THEBESTSEATS15 at checkout. Trust me, you will not be disappointed. I don't know about you, but 2020 had me re-looking at how I live and the space that I live in. Spending so much time at home really had me reevaluating how certain things worked and didn't in my living space. One of the main things, as an avid home cook and an obvious supporter of restaurants, was gardening. Anybody who enjoys food at all will be able to tell you that something you've grown yourself will taste infinitely better than anything you can buy at a store. That's where Ashley Irene of Heirloom Potage comes in. Heirloom Potage designs, installs, and maintains seasonal culinary gardens for chefs and foodies in Orange County. They provide organic gardening methods and bespoke build-outs used to preserve the heirloom varietals that they'll provide for seeds. An approachable and exciting endeavor, no matter if you're a seasoned restaurateur or a stay-at-home chef. Owner Ashley Irene's experience, expertise, and enthusiasm is only matched by her professionalism. For more information on how you can set up a consultation to get your own culinary garden space set up, go to heirloompotage.com. That's heirloom, H-E-I-R-L-O-O-M, potage, P-O-T-A-G-E-R. Dot com today. Once again, that's heirloompotage.com. 
I want to touch on something that you brought up when you were bringing out some dishes earlier. You took a year off and played professional poker. Uh, Now, most people, they're like, no, I went and staged in France or I did this. No, you played professional poker. (laughs) Why? How? And does a year of playing professional poker, which again, I I say in a laughing manner because it's not something you hear a lot, but that takes a lot of talent. A, how did you get into that? And B, has that benefited you in the kitchen at all? Um, it's something that I've always kind of done. Uh, back when internet poker was a thing, I played internet poker as well until they shut that down. Uh, and <laughs> uh, so then after that, yeah, I just I had to wait until um, I was 21, obviously, to go back to the casinos because before that I was 18. Um, but yeah, it's always been something I've kind of had, did a hobby of. Um, and at a certain point, you know, I just uh, felt like I needed to take some time away uh, from the industry and kind of, you know, like reset. And I thought that that was a, you know, perfect way to do it. It's also high stress environment, you know, just like the kitchen, you know, you're going to have your ups and downs. You're <laughs> you never know what's kind of kind of come next. So, um, yeah, is it definitely beneficial for me to kind of like feel that, you know, like that high amount of stress, you know, and it's definitely helping me in the kitchen, you know, kind of like manage that stress as well. We're moving into summer again. Like I said, we're recording this middle of June. What are things that you're excited for dish wise, ingredient wise? I mean, again, now that especially the rains are off and we're back to being open, what's got you the most kind of pumped? Um, for summer, I think, I think corn, corn for me is, is huge. Um, you know, I'm, I'm half Mexican as well. So in their culture, it's, it's a huge, uh, it's a huge part of their cuisine. Um, and I kind of want to showcase that here as well. Um, I think there are local seafood, I think down from the Dory fleet, I think right now is, uh, doing fantastic things. You know, we've had sprout prawns in, we've had crab. Um, so I think being able to highlight a little more of that, you know, fresh seafood that comes right off our coast here is going to be a huge thing for summer. I've had, I have a dear friend who was with Newport Beach Department for, I think, 30 some odd years. He just retired during the pandemic. And he told me one day that Newport Beach, specifically where we're at, Balboa, has the highest amount of liquor licenses per square foot or something along those lines. You're dealing with a destination that loves its day drinking. And I'm, and I'm a complete endorser of that. Anybody that knows me, I'm behind that. Yep. You know, it, it's a quieter crowd. You guys are on the back bay here. Mm-hmm. How do you make noise with your food to draw in those diners when there's so many other places competing by putting kind of that, you know, that kind of fun factor first? And again, and I want to preface this by saying you guys have an amazing beer and wine program, low ABV cocktail program. So I'm not knocking the spirits, but oh, yeah. how do you make noise with the other restaurants with your food from the chef's perspective when there's so much competition around you? Yeah, absolutely. There's a ton of competition down here. I think just trying to stand out in, uh, you know, different ways than them. You know, we're trying to do something that is a little different from everyone else around here. We are, you know, we're trying to be, you know, as local as we can. We're trying to be hyper seasonal. Um, we're trying to pick out the best of the best ingredients from the farmer's market, um, working close with our purveyors and farmers as well. Um, so I think just giving them a different experience than they're used to you know the the hustle and bustle from the bars down here you know we're trying to give them you know a little bit more laid back a little more you know mellow experience than you're gonna get at all the bars around here as well and i think with our you know our cocktail program i think sue's done an amazing job with them ever since she's come on and they've been you know just as good as if you were gonna have a cocktail with alcohol in it and they're just low abv but you know you can't tell the difference yeah i would completely agree with that you guys do make delicious drinks 
I'm glad you mentioned the relationships mm-hmm. that you have with farmers, purveyors. It, it, it's it's commonplace nowadays for a restaurant. You know, you list a dish, and they're going to list. By the way, these lettuces are from so and so farm. <laughs> this is you know Neiman Ranch. You know, this is Snake River Farms. Everybody has a goddamn Mary's chicken on the menu. Like oh, yeah. everybody lists. You guys take it a notch up. I mean, mm-hmm. there's very few restaurants, especially kind of in this area, that really take the time to celebrate others while they celebrate themselves. You guys do a great job of that. Can you speak to the relationship that you have a little bit with some of the farms and purveyors that you have and what that brings to the dishes? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think, you know, they're giving you such a great product that, you know, we should be able to basically thank them for that as well, you know, so giving them, you know, shout outs on our menu and telling the guests where our, where their food is actually coming from, I think is a great, great thing for them as well. You know, like when, when you know where something comes from, you know how good it's going to be at that point. And I think working with them so closely is, is fantastic. You know, like I've gotten to learn a lot about the process of how they grow things or why they do certain things to, you know, their produce or, you know, like their poultry, their, you know, their cows, why, why they do it that way to, to where it'll turn up a certain way on our dish. The number one question that I always joke with my chef friends about that they hate being asked by, you know, quote unquote food media is what do you like to cook? I, I want to ask an irritating question. What's, you know, you've been here a number of years. Mm-hmm. The menu changes seasonally, but there are a couple items that do stick around here and there. What is an item or a dish that you do? Like what, what is the type of food, not seasonally speaking, that you love and that really kind of makes you happy when you either, you know, put it on the hotline or something like that? I think for me, pasta. Um, from the time I started cooking, I kind of just gravitated towards that. Um, and I would say Italian cooking in general. Like, that's just kind of like my sweet spot. That's what I'll, you know, go to number one time if I want to go out and eat um, a good Italian restaurant. And that's that's just for me, That's it's like home cooking. It's like what your, you know, like your grandmother used to cook almost. We should mention, obviously, for anybody listening that doesn't know, you guys make all your pasta in-house. Mm-hmm. Even, you know, prior to you taking over the kitchen, you guys were still making all the pasta in-house. Oh, yeah. yeah. You were making the pasta in-house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think there's a misconception that if people don't go to a hyper-authentic Italian restaurant mm-hmm. or, you know, something where someone's nonna is in the back kitchen, it's not going to be handmade pasta. You guys are doing it. Oh, yeah. So many people during 2020... Jesus Christ, you couldn't escape the amount of people on Instagram making their own sourdough. I mean, oh, yeah. it, it, some people took off. Some people started making pasta. What triggered it for you? What got you into making it and, and what made it such a love affair? Because once you get in, it's really hard to quit. Oh, you, yeah, yeah. You, yeah you I, you're, not, I, you're not getting out. No, there's no <laughs> chance. Um, I, I just think uh, like how intricate it was. It was more of... Um it was less of a recipe and more of a feeling. You know, you got to work with it with your hands and you could kind of tell when the dough was ready by how it felt instead of, you know, just like a plain and simple, you put this amount of flour, you put this amount of eggs, this amount of water. And it's such a simple amount of ingredients that go into it, but the end product is something fantastic. And one small little mistake is going to make a huge difference at the end. Being a chef is not an easy thing. It's long hours. It's hard work. It's tight spaces. It's a lot of heat. Walk me through what your day is like now that you've taken over the kitchen, because I'm assuming there's pasta making involved as well. So oh, yeah. what is a, I don't want to say a nine to five because it's not a nine to five, but no, no, what no. is it? What does a work day for you look like? Um, so I come in in the morning. Um, you know, we open up at uh, 11 every day. Uh, so my day starts, you know, normally about 8 a.m. Um, get here. We get to see, you know, like what we've used from the previous day. We start making prep lists um, about an hour into the day. You know, we start getting our produce. We start getting our meat, start getting our fish uh, from our different purveyors. Uh, we get to break that down for the day and get ready for service before we open. Um, you know, we'll have pre-shift meetings. 
uh, and then go through lunch service. And then as soon as lunch service is over, you know, we flip right into dinner service uh, as soon as we can. How many days a week are you here at the restaurant? Uh, currently about six. Um, that's just that, that, that for me, that's always been a constant, whether I've been a sous chef, a chef at other restaurants. I think it's very important um, as a chef just to kind of be here as much as you can. One of the things that came out of 2020, which I thought was deeply beneficial for the industry, was a lot of talks about balancing work life, mm-hmm. um, the stress on the industry. There's talks every single day about unfair things. I mean, restaurants left, right and center are coming out with new additions to the bill. I know the latest one that made stirs was Cato up in Los Angeles announced, I think it was 18 and a half percent gratuity to make sure that they could cover wage increases, things like that. Mm-hmm. As somebody who has been in this industry a long time, survived, quote unquote, kind of 2020, what kind of things do you want to see happen to the industry to China of help? Because you just described it's a fucking long day, man. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> a lot of work yeah. that goes into that. Yep. What do you want to see improve a little bit? I mean, from your side, in a perfect world, what would change? Yeah, I think you kind of touched on it too. I think that work-life balance for everyone is going to be, you know, like really key. I think especially for the younger generation that's going to be coming up, I think trying to show them that there is, you know, there are there are those places that are going to give you that work-life balance. I think that's going to be really, really big. And uh, I think, you know, some of the restaurants are already doing it. You know, I, I think some of the, the increases to the checks, the surcharges uh, to kind of give their employees, you know, like a fair livable wage as well as, you know, health insurance, I think is really big. I think a lot of people are kind of looking for that now, especially after 2020 with the pandemic and everyone kind of going through that and kind of woken a lot of people up to, you know, like, oh, I do need health insurance and it is beneficial. Um, and I think that's going to be, you know, like a really big thing moving forward. And I think the industry as a whole is going to, you know, they're going to find a way to have those things available to them, their employees. You talked about the next generation. <clears throat> the number one thing that I hear is, again, these days, the hot topic is mm-hmm. hiring. You know, depending on when people are hearing this, maybe it won't be the hot topic, but my guess is it still will be. Is there a next generation? Because it's not just hiring people. Mm-hmm. In a lot of cases, you're also having to then train. So mm-hmm. you're going from boss to also teacher. Mm-hmm. So in a way, you're not a head chef, you're more of a principal. Mm-hmm. I mean, is there a next generation? Because it's one thing to find a bar back. It's one thing to find a server. Cooks are a whole other animal. I oh, mean, absolutely. Because it's a whole different aspect of the industry. Mm-hmm. From your perspective, as somebody who's been doing this a while, what does the future look like for chefs? Yeah, I think it looks bright. I think there's a lot of talent out there. Um, you know, that are definitely really, really young, you know, they might not have gotten their opportunity yet or found the right, you know, chef or uh, restaurant to kind of shine or like be given that opportunity to show that there is going to be a next generation. And I, I think it's, it's, it looks really bright. I think a lot of people are, you know, especially with the pandemic shut down, I think a lot of people kind of, you know, got back to their roots and like, whether it was like cooking their own grandmother's recipes or learning how to make sourdough or pasta. Um, I think that just kind of like that, spark of love for food again kind of happened and i think a lot of people are going to kind of take hold of that and we might see some people that are going to be coming in from other industries and wanting to learn and i think that's gonna you know like more competition is great you're gonna get more talent out of that sorry i'm just having a vision in my head of all the people whose apartment leases are going to end and they're going to open up the cabinet under their sink and there's going to be that starter from the sourdough that they forgot about just from the pandemic <laughs> and it'll uh, just yeah. be there <laughs> um your food packs in a ton of flavor, mm. but you guys don't use a pornographic amount of ingredients per. I mean, mm. the, the accurate amount per dish, but you're not, you're letting the ingredients really speak for themselves. How do you balance that as a cook? How do you not, how do you highlight something without oversaturating it? 
Uh, I think it's a lot of self-editing. Um, you know, you have a start to edition, you have a certain vision for it and you're going to have to go through, you know, like maybe five to 10 renditions of that dish until you get that, you know, that final product where you can let, you know, one or two ingredients shine, but not have it be so simplistic that you can't actually taste that ingredient anymore. And I think that's, um, I think it's a really fine line. I think being, you know, simple, um, simple has to be really, it has to be done right. You know, if you're only going to have those you know, four or five ingredients into a dish, you have to make them perfect. Anybody who's listened to this show, um, if they listen to it on free feeds, you obviously hear the advertisements, depending on when you're hearing this. And one of them is for heirloom potager, my friend Ashley, who was on a prior episode, maybe a couple episodes ago, and she does culinary garden consulting. Mm-hmm. You guys have a garden here. She didn't do it, but mm-hmm. I want to speak to the greater point of there's no better flavor than something that you've grown yourself. Taking over the kitchen what does it mean to have that garden outside be all year? Because we should mention, while you guys are in the heart of Lido and everything else, you guys have herb gardens and beds that surround the entire patio in the restaurant. You're able, if you're like, oh shit, I need garnish, you run out and get garnish, it's right there. What does that mean and what does that do for you, for a cook, to be able to have all of that right at your fingertips and to be growing that yourself right next to your diners? Yeah, I, th- I think it's a blessing. Um, I've never really worked in a, you know, a restaurant where we've had this opportunity to kind of grow our own garnishes or grow our own herbs, flowers, um, kind of, it, it, it's fantastic. You know, you'd be able to, you know, go right outside the kitchen, pick what you need and come back and it's on a plate in a minute. Um, I think that opportunity is huge. And I think it's a really nice way to kind of show our guests kind of, you know, what is going to be on their plates as well. You know, we get to showcase what kind of season it is before you even step in foot into the restaurant. You know, they'll be able to see it's summer by the tomatoes that are growing outside the peppers, um, the herbs as well. You guys work with a sense of seasonality that not a lot of other restaurants do. Um, Chef Amy helped institute that, but obviously the entire staff embraced it and grew it to what it is. Mm -hmm. And obviously it's your staff now in your kitchen. Talk about your seasonality and your approach to it a little bit. You know, we're in the heart of summer now. I think it's going to be damn near 90 degrees today. Luckily, we're inside recording this and people couldn't tell by the service going on behind Uh us. But how do you still approach that seasonality and how quickly do you move on that? Uh, yeah, so it's, it's something that I want to move really quickly on. I want to try and be as hyper seasonal as we possibly can. So I think that even like, it's like the seasons inside of a season almost, you know, like certain ingredients are only going to be here for a couple of weeks out of the year. And I think being able to put a dish on, you know, for a couple of weeks while those are at the height and then once they go away, you know, they're gone. You move on to a new ingredient that's going to be more in season. I think that trying to, you know, like trying to change, you know, seasons by season, four seasons is fantastic. But I think even, you know, trying to go a little deeper than that is kind of where we're trying to achieve to be. It's the obvious question, but it's one that bears, I have to ask it, especially now that we're recording this the day after the reopening. How does it feel to be back? I mean, back like full. Uh, it feels good. It's been, it's been a long journey, you know, like some days you would think like, you're like, Oh, is this ever going to end? Are we ever going to be back to full staff? Um, are we ever going to be back to, you know, like full capacity as well? Um, but now that we're kind of here, it's almost surreal. Um, but it's great. I'm super happy to be fully back open and, uh, yeah, just go on as business as usual now. Chef, you guys make insane food. I'm so happy to take the time to sit down today. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. You obviously have a service to get back to and God knows I don't want to impede that. Um, if people want to find you on social media, reach out, pick your brain about anything. If they want to follow the restaurant, things like that, where can people do that? Uh, yeah, through Instagram is going to be kind of our best way. Um, I'm at chef.joel.gutierrez. 
uh, and then at Lita Bottle Works as well. Um, you know, we're always kind of trying to give you behind the scenes look of, you know, how we come up with the dishes or, you know, exactly what happens, you know, behind the scenes in the kitchen as well. Trying to give them a view of how that food got onto their plate. And as always, those links will be in the show notes. So just click through wherever you are listening to it, free feeds, Patreon or otherwise. Chef, thank you so, so much for the time, man. Thank you for the hospitality. Thank you for the behind the scenes look and thank you for the honesty. And most of all, thank you for what you and every other chef has done during this pandemic to survive and keep restaurants like this afloat. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate the time, man. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you to Chef. Thank you for the whole team at Lido Bottle Works. It is a pain in the ass when media people come in. I get that. It's even more a pain in the ass during a busy service to lose a two-top because some 230-pound dude with a pokey little podcast has set up audio equipment everywhere and wants to take your chef off the line during lunch service. I get it. I apologize. But thank you to Chef and thank you for the staff because it was an awesome interview, an awesome time. I can't say enough good things about this restaurant. Again, I try to bring stories from all over Orange County, the rest of Southern California and beyond, and this is a good one. This is just a guy who was doing some really, really good work, and it's work that you need to check out if you haven't already. So wherever you're listening to this podcast, put in the GPS if you're listening to it in the car, pull over to the side of the road, be safe about it, obviously, Turn off your computer, close the laptop, wherever you're at, put your phone down and go to Lidl Bottle Works, set up a reservation. You're going to have a good time. Thank you to the sponsors for the show. Thank you to everybody who supports on patreon.com forward slash the best seats. You make all this possible. Thank you to all of you little lobster backs checking out the free feeds. I love you just as much. All right, everybody. Until the next one, I'll see you soon. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and owner of The Best Seats. It is recorded in Aliso Viejo, California. It is subsidized through generous donations through patreon.com slash the best seats. The following are names that have subscribed at the highest tier, aka norm status, and thus allow me to produce the show each and every episode. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Here are the supporters. Alexander Cook, Cheryl McCarthy, George Pavlov, Serena Warino, Eric Lutz, Pizza Guy 92, Loco Lipo, Tim Falk. Thank you for your support.